You may be seated. <clears throat> so, if you're new with us, my name is Michael. I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you're <clears throat> with us online, then we're I'm glad that you're here as well. Even though I can't see you, I'd like to one day though. So come in person, and then we can. And um, so, yeah, we're excited to be here on Halloween. And a fitting message for today, it's not exactly the way that I planned it, um, but as I was reading through and studying through this passage, I realized, well, one of the main problems for the church in Sardis was that they were pretending they were something they weren't. And what do kids do tonight? They'll go around pretending they're something that they're not. Of course, for fun purposes, to get way too much candy, and they bring it home, and you try to figure out <laughs> how are they going to eat all this, or you maybe take some of that off to the side for yourself. Who knows what you do? But uh, either way, <clears throat> we uh, can be reminded about what we're going to learn about this morning, this evening as well. And so as I was thinking about this, this phrase that I want you to remember, uh, alive but dead, while well, we spent some time in Revelation chapter 3, 1 through 6, uh, this church in Sardis, like the other churches, they they had, <clears throat> among other issues, one issue in particular uh, that was the most troubling, and that it was, if you were to look at them from the outside, you might see uh, some good works, some positive things that were going on, but what you maybe didn't see and what Jesus was trying to peel back and uh, show the church uh, was that they were maybe doing a lot of good things, they were presenting a good front, putting on a mask, if you will, uh, and then they were with their own personal lives in their spiritual nature, they were really dead. And so, um, as you know, we can't hide anything from Jesus. And so I <clears throat> began to look up a, a few different things related to this idea, this phrase, alive but dead. And I stumbled across something, this uh, <clears throat> word, uh, catalepsy. Uh, you may have heard it before. It's the appearance of someone being dead, but they're actually still alive. Now, uh, maybe you've encountered this before. It's actually fairly rare. And there was a gentleman who was arrested for committing a crime in Spain, and they took him to jail. And uh, as he's in jail, they you know, left him there for a little while. They come back, and they go, oh, no, something must have happened to him. So he appeared as though he had died, and, and they were taking him off um, to the morgue. And as you can imagine, mortician's terror to someone waking up uh, when he's about to perform an autopsy. That's exactly what happened. Uh, a man wakes up and says, what's happening? Where am I? And uh, they began to do some more study after that and realized that there was this occurrence that was taking place, sometimes with older individuals, but it could really happen to anybody, where the heart rate would drop so low that it was even undetectable you know, by someone putting their stethoscope up there. And they realized that's what happened, and they've been studying it since then. And so I think like Jesus was trying to reveal to the church, sometimes we see medical things like this, uh, there's this spiritual nature that's far more important than the physical one. And we need to be aware of this because as Jesus talks to the church in Sardis, uh, we're going to need to go, instead of looking towards other people, maybe instead of looking towards other churches, look at ourselves and go, God, is there any truth to this? Is there anything I need to examine in my own life or the life of the church and say, if people were to look at us, at our church, or as us individually, would they be able to see somebody who not only presented the right front, that they were followers of Jesus, but then actually lived that out in their life? Uh, it would be a sad thing for someone to see us and say, I know that they go to church, and I know they say they're a Christian, but I'm not quite sure. And so we'll see. It's kind of hard to hide some of these things. And uh, So I hope you're already there in the book of Revelation in chapter Three, and we'll go ahead and jump into it. Just after giving a little bit of context, <clears throat> we know uh, John's on this island, the island of Patmos. 
And as we think about islands, maybe we, we go back to a time where we got to go on a vacation. We went to the Bahamas or somewhere else, and we think that was a really nice time. Maybe, John, it wasn't so bad. But this was a place uh, that was not like the Bahamas. It was more like the Hunger Games, as we've shared before, uh, that he was sent there for the sole purpose of eventually dying, being uh, taken over by the elements, uh, or being attacked by someone else who was sent there by the Roman government. And while he was there, I know a lot of people who are in opposition to Christianity probably thought, all right, this is it, John, the last disciple, he finds himself on this island, we don't have to worry about him anymore, he's not going to cause any trouble. And then God reaches through space and time, and he pulls John into a place where he can see not only heaven, but the future. And so what a cool picture that we get to see in the book of Revelation of not only the end times, but this wonderful picture of who God is uh, sitting on his throne. And so we'll get to look at that in a couple weeks. But as we finish up this section on the churches, let's continue to examine ourselves. Maybe not other people. Maybe just look in on ourselves and see what he has for us. Well, the church in Sardis, you can actually <clears throat> go to this region today, uh, and it's actually known as one of the most well-preserved archaeological sites uh, of the first century. So if you go there, you'll, you'll see a few things. You'll see the Acropolis where people reason. There's still remnants of that. Uh, you'll also see a temple dedicated to Artemis. Uh, and so just kind of a, a lot of things that were central in that time in that area, but, but not a lot of the other sites that were super well-preserved. And so Sardis was also, it was 60 miles inland from Smyrna in Ephesus. Uh, it was a place that uh, you have to travel a little ways to get to, but it's actually one of the most wealthy cities of the first century, very well fortified. And so these people, they, they built themselves up on their status, on their ability to do well in society and to protect themselves. Uh, and even the believers, as they went to the church in Sardis, they built themselves up on this idea that Church was maybe more like a club than it was a faith to live out and follow Jesus. So let's be thinking about that as we jump into our first point. And the first point is pretending gains nothing. As you might imagine, um, pretending doesn't really do you a whole lot of good. Maybe for the short term in this life, you can pretend to be something that you're not. Uh, but when it comes to our relationship with God, there's really no point, right? I mean, why would we uh, say that we follow Jesus and then not actually do that, not actually commit our lives to him? What good does that do us? Well, in verse 1, it says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has, seven, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So one of the church fathers, Apringus of Beha, said this uh, in a commentary he wrote in the 6th century, they are Christians in name only, and so they are said to be living, but in fact, they are dead. And so it's pretty simple. This church, probably more than likely, it wasn't just Jesus who knew this and was saying this to them. Uh, my guess is that the people who are in the area of Sardis, that they knew that this was more of a club than it was people who actually lived out their faith. And so, like this church father said, we can at times, I think, see people or other churches that we go, okay, yeah, that's the case for them. But do we ever go, are we a church that has a solid spiritual foundation? Are we a church that's committed to the Lord? Are we continuing to be faithful to Him? And there's never a bad time to ask that question uh, and, and just say, Lord, are we centered on who you are? And here's what Jesus says. He says, I know. This word in the Greek, Ido, means to perceive or to notice. The same words used in Matthew 6, 8. It says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. 
And so what do we know about God? Well, he's, he's omniscient, right? He, he knows everything about everyone who has ever existed or ever will exist for all time, right? So that's one of his main attributes. So what does he know? Well, he knows our works. He says this to the church in Sardis, uh, which should have been like the time they were like, oh, no, <laughs> he knows, right? Uh, and so this word here in the Greek is uh, argon uh, for works. And in Matthew 23, 3, the same word is used. So do, you, do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach and do not practice. Have you ever heard that phrase before? You know, practice what you preach. You, know, you need to practice what you preach, right? Well, it actually came from this passage in Matthew 23, 3, for they preach, but do not practice. So they tell people one thing, or they present something, and then... That's not actually how they live. It's not actually who they are. And, and how pointless is that? Why would we waste our time doing that? I mean, be a follower of Jesus or not, right? We're going to get to a, a point in Revelation. We're going to look at the lukewarm church, and that's not a good place to be, right? Either be following Jesus or not. And, and Jesus has to come and tell the church, hey, I, I know your works. So like, let's, let's stop pretending, right? Um, and so I was, uh, as I was thinking about this this week, um, Alana got in the car from school, so I picked her up. We always have great conversations about what, what happened at school. <clears throat> One of the things she said was, you know, we get stickers for getting all of our stuff ready. And some of the kids weren't getting their stuff ready, and, and, and she said, well, there's one person who doesn't get their stuff ready, like, ever. They never get stickers. How sad is that? And so she said, well, this person is, like, the naughtiest in class. And, and so I said, well, Lana, how do you know, you know, they're the, they're the naughtiest, right? They, and she said, Dad, by their actions. And I said, well, if a five-year-old can, can get that, then why can't we, right? That we might live out our lives saying, we go to church, we're Christians, we follow Jesus, but then actually doing something about it because, I mean, who are we really fooling, right? Certainly not Jesus, and my guess is probably not a lot of other people. And so now in verse 2, it says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So why pretend if your works aren't complete either? So I've had this conversation with many older saints too, so just whether I'm going to the hospital and visiting somebody and and they're discouraged. I mean, as you can imagine, maybe things aren't going super well health-wise, and, and I'll, I'll hear this uh, from many, many people just maybe sitting in a hospital bed. I've heard this before, and they'll say, I just don't know why I'm here anymore. And, and I look at them, and many times I've just sort of prayed for the words because I'm going like, you know, I'm young. I'm trying to, you know, grow in wisdom and experience here on how to counsel people, especially in that situation. But the Lord reminded me and shared with them, if you're still here then the work's not complete, right? If you're not with Jesus, then he's still got something for you to do. And so we should be encouraged by that because he says, wake up. A Gregorio in the Greek, be watchful. First Peter 5 eight uses the same word. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to <clears throat> devour. That's not the verse you tell your kids when they're going to bed at night, right? But it's certainly one that when we read, we should go, oh, Okay, we should be watchful. We should be sober-minded. We should be aware of what's going on um, so that we don't just take these things for granted too. Maybe the church in Sardis, I don't know, maybe they were lulled into a place of, well, they, they, some of them started following Jesus and then it just sort of, the, the foundation or the entity itself just sort of built up as this organization or this club that had nothing to do with following Jesus faithfully. And so we don't want to be in this, that place. And I love what he says here, we need to be strengthened. So wake up and strengthen what remains. So this word in the Greek, sterizo, just means to make stable, place firmly, or set fast 
Again, in 1 Peter in 5.10, it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So who's doing this? I mean, we read in the quiet time this morning that we don't do this on our own. Even Jesus said, hey, I'm not doing this on my own. I'm doing the will of the Father who sent me. So where does our strength come from, right? Sometimes we just, I think we get in this place where we go, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I can do it. I can do this life on my own. I mean, I'm doing a pretty good job, so I'm going to continue doing that. And at some point, something happens, right? Somebody gets sick. Somebody dies, somebody loses a job, and then we go, oh, wow, reality, right? And so uh, how are we actually relying on Jesus right now faithfully when things are good? It's going to set the trajectory for if we're actually strengthened by God because the bottom falls out if we're not, right? And so Jesus is trying to remind the church of this, hey, take this and be strengthened uh, because what, uh, what remains and is about to die, he says, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. So there's still something left to do. And even for a church that maybe was fallen to the wayside and maybe wasn't committed to the Lord in the way that they lived their lives, he said, hey, you're not done yet. Let's, let's turn this thing around. Because here's the second fill in the blank. Repenting gains everything. So verse 3 tells us we need to be aware so we can repent. If you don't know, uh, then how are you supposed to do that? Well, in verse 3 it says, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and will not, you will not know at what hour I come against you. Um, so this, is, this should be a, a word for us of just a warning and caution. What does he say to the church? Hey, there's still time, right? What do you need to do? You need to repent because what? Remember then what you received. So how was the church started? Well, they heard the gospel and they built this foundation, but then at some point they started to taper off. They started to go, oh, we're not sure if we're committed to this. And so it says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it. And repent. So this word here in the Greek, the pneumoneo, that means to be mindful, right? To hold something in mind or to hold in memory. Um, it's difficult for us too, right? If we're not around other believers, if we're not being encouraged, if we're not being reminded of the truth that we've received, um, then sometimes we just start to go, oh, wait, what, what was that that I believed at that one time? How am I encouraged? Well, unless you're around the family of faith, unless you're here, unless we're talking throughout the week and encouraging and praying each other, praying for each other. Um, and that's difficult, isn't it? How do we remember? Well, a lot of it's being reminded. So he says, remember, keep it, and repent. Love that. And then verse 4, it says, Yet you, will, you still have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So what's the good news? Well, in most of these churches that are in the book of Revelation, Jesus goes, hey, I've got a serious problem here, and I need, I need you to hear what I'm saying. And then he says, but there's some of you. What does he say? You haven't soiled your garments. This word in the Greek, the maluno, it means to pollute or stain or contaminate. You'll find it here in 1 Corinthians 8, 7. It says, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to, to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So this is, what, anything that's in opposition to God is pursuing um, idols. And, and maybe we think like, oh, food sacrificed to idols, like, you know, I don't go to the, you know, the little Buddha that's set up somewhere, if you see one of those. And the food, I'm not going to take that and eat it. That's ridiculous. But for us, maybe it's simpler things, right? Maybe we make idols out of, of jobs, of 
uh, of a spouse, of kids. Maybe we're like, you know, if my kid could just be that thing that I couldn't, then I'll be fulfilled, right? And so we, we have to go to look at this text and go, how does this, what does this look like for us contextually, in our context, what we're experiencing? Are we, are we making idols out of things that we shouldn't or people that we shouldn't? Maybe, maybe not. But Jesus is going, hey, there's still time. So we're pretending right it doesn't, it doesn't gain us anything. And then repenting gains everything. So if we can see that, maybe you, maybe you just need more solid believers in your life. I know there's a lot of people here um, that would love to be that for you. Maybe you need somebody who's an accountability partner. Um, I know Dave and Rachel have been working hard with the student ministry and um, just kind of helping the kids understand what that looks like, like walking alongside them and going, oh, there's somebody that would care about me enough to say, hey, maybe you need to make a little adjustment here. Maybe you need to change what you're doing here because... What does the world say? Well, love is, you know, always telling people they're perfect and they do everything perfect and nobody's wrong or they're not bad. And, but what does love, love look like from the scriptures? What is, what is Jesus doing here? Most people, if they would have heard this or some version of this right now, they would be go like, Jesus doesn't like us. He didn't care about us. He doesn't love us. What's this true definition of love? No, Jesus cares about the churches. He said, you've started something. You're not done with it. Stop pretending. Repent. Because what is it going to do? It's going to gain them everything. It's going to bring them back to the place that they were. And this is essential. So somebody hasn't said it, so Jesus says it for them. They need to get back to this place. And here's the last fill in the blank. Conquering gains eternal life. Conquering gains eternal life. And so we really need to dial in here because we all make a choice, right? Um, We either make a choice to follow Jesus wholeheartedly um, or we don't. And some of us, I think, at times believe that it's okay to fall somewhere in the middle. You know, maybe life's getting difficult or it's getting hard. I'm just going to pull back from church. I'm going to pull back from my, from my family of faith. Or I'm going to pull back from Jesus. I mean, you know, I, I'm busy. Like, I will come back and I'll, I'll get back into that quiet time when I have time. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons we really emphasize that at the church. So there's quiet time books back there. If you don't have one, if you're not going through something daily, it, it's not about this, like, monotonous, begrudging, oh, I have to read something, I guess, I'm, if I'm going to be a good Christian. I mean, I should read my Bible. But no, it should be about wanting to grow closer to Jesus. And so no, no one wants to force you to do that. But, but we want to provide every opportunity so that as you grow closer to him, you have this family of faith, you have the church that you come to. But then when you walk out these doors, like it can't just be here in the Bible on Sunday mornings, right? That's, that's not going to work. And so Jesus is, in the same way, reminding the church, stop pretending. Let's, let's repent because we have everything to gain. And what is that? Well, Jesus uses this phrase over and over again for the church. He says, to the one who conquers. Nikeo in the Greek. So this one who overcomes. And it's this person who, who gives their life to Jesus. And maybe for you, that was at a young age. And you're like, well, that was like five or six. It was a long time ago. You know, things have changed since then. But if you made that profession of faith, and it was legitimate, then Jesus is just going, hey, maybe you've had a hard time since then. Maybe you're experiencing that right now. I don't know if you, those listening online, I can't see you, but I want to make an appeal to you too that um, maybe you're in this place, you're like, I just need to get dialed back in. I just need to be committed to what God is doing in my life. I need to be surrounded by people that are going to encourage me, and I need to pick up that Bible. I need to stop leaving it in the car or on the shelf, and I need to just sit with Jesus in the morning or in the evening, whenever you do that, and say, God, I need your help. And so uh, these are the people, the ones who conquer, those who have gained eternal life, um, somebody who's committed to Jesus throughout their lives. And so verse 5 says, the one who conquers will be clothed 
thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So, so what good news is this? The one who conquers, the one who's committed wholeheartedly to God, says we get these white garments. And I always remembered like growing up, because I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in Dallas-Fort Worth. So, um, I, you know, we'd go to church and like the choir would have their robes and there'd be like all these like, you know, re, there'd be like purple banners hanging up. It'd be like Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And, and so I love thinking about those times. And then when it came time for somebody to get baptized, what they what would they come out in? A white robe. And I can't tell you how many times, because um, I've done that too, where they're wearing the white robe and kids are like tripping over it, you know, going to the baptistry. But this white robe, the, some of the symbolism that we've used in the past is meant to help us understand what has Jesus done for us. As we walk into those waters of baptism, that's not what saves us, but we've already been saved. <laughs> you ever wondered that for the Protestant church? Why does somebody walk in there like that? Because they've already been covered in the blood of Jesus. And what he says here, he says, hey, they're going to be clothed in this white garment. Can you imagine that? Standing in the presence of Jesus, you've, he's, either, he's either shown back up on the scene, he's like, all right, everybody, everybody who's saved, let's go. Um, Alana and I talk about that a lot. She's like, that's going to be really amazing. I mean, like he's going he's gonna to crack open the sky and there's going to be these trumpets blowing. And he's like, okay, you know, let, let's go, everybody. And, and then when we're with him, what are things going to be like? Well, we're going to be constantly reminded, instead of constantly shamed. I mean, isn't that our culture? It's like, you know, everybody's bad. Everybody you know, does wrong things. And we feel like we need to cover those up too instead of walking with the community of faith. But what has Jesus done for us? Maybe if we could just keep in perspective that as those who are conquerors, how do we have confidence? We're going to be wearing those white robes. I mean, like, we're going to walk into heaven and we're going to, like, we belong here, just like we belong in this place with this body of believers. And Jesus was telling the church this as encouragement. He goes, stop, stop falling to the wayside. Stop making this all about you. Stop pretending because conquerors, what do they do? Well, they're going to gain eternal life. And this is the thing we have to look towards for our perspective. Uh, and, I, and I love that. And especially this phrase, you only see this a few times in the New Testament, uh, but it's mentioned by uh, church scholars as a slam's book of life. This, this book that when we enter into heaven, there's going to be everybody's names written down in it. And when we walk in there, Jesus is going to go, He's like the bouncer, right? He's like the, the bouncer of the biggest club, right, heaven? And you're walking in there, he goes, I got the guest book. You're in. You're in. Can you imagine the feeling? Having him put that white robe on you. He's got the guest book. And he looks at God the Father and he says, she's with me. He's with me. Let me put the garment, the white garment on you. And so we should be encouraged by this. And this phrase, the book of life, the Biblios Zoa, Again, it's only used three times. Here in Philippians 4, 3, it's used, and it says, Yes, this is Paul talking, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So the greatest apostles of any time wrote most of the New Testament. <clears throat> Paul, as he's talking about fellow workers, what does he say about them? He goes, these ladies, you need, to be, you need to be helping them out. You need to be on their side. Because what, what does he say here? He says, their names, my fellow workers, they're in that book of life. And so there's not any question mark that. Can you imagine somebody like Paul going, my fellow workers? And he says, your name, they're in that book of life. And so confirmation for them and for us that as we think about eternity, because that's what we're gaining here, right? We, 
we've got to stop pretending, right? If we're pretending, we've got to go, hey, we don't want to be about that. We need to repent of anything that's keeping us away from the Lord. And whatever that is, maybe it's just like a little, oh, it's just a minor sin. Like, God doesn't care about that. Yeah, I, I know he really wants me to be committed to him wholeheartedly. I know he wants me to, to, to read my Bible every day, to grow in knowledge and wisdom. I know he wants me to have accountability. I know he wants to have somebody in my life. And students, I can't tell you, that's one of the greatest things you could ever do, is have somebody that would say, here's where you're doing well, like Jesus, and here's something you need to work on, right? So be reminded of that. It's important, because Jesus reminds us here at the end, those conquerors, they're going to gain eternal life in that book, where they're going to... You're going to walk up to heaven. Jesus says, they're in there. Here's the white garment. You weren't pretending. Now, you didn't waste your life. You repented, and you gained eternal life. And here's the last verse. He who has an ear, let him hear. It rhymes. I love that. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we see this phrase, <clears throat> and Jesus says, he's not just going like, hey, if you can hear, if you have a physical ear, he's going, he who has the spiritual ears. He who has been saved, this person who is a conqueror, whose name is in this Lamb's book of life, who's going to get this white garment put around them, he says, that person, that person is going to gain eternal life. And this is really an encouragement for the church in Sardis. This was not Jesus putting everybody down. He's saying, hey, there's going to be a day. You remember reading this? He's I'm going to show up. It's going to be like a thief, right? Have we ever heard that before? Like a thief in the night, he returns. Nobody's going to know when, although a lot of people have predicted. And he reminds the church, hey, let's not be wasteful with the time we got. Let's not pretend you've got everything to gain by going, hey, let's return back to our original focus. Let's make this about God because we're going to gain eternal life. So he who has an ear, let him hear, a spiritual ear. Some of us at times, we, we try to turn a blind ear to it. Maybe we want to live a certain way or we want to walk away from the church or maybe somebody else and we go, I've got more important things to do. And, and Jesus is saying to the church in Sardis, like he's saying to us or whoever's listening online, that's not how it's supposed to be. If you want to follow me faithfully, wholeheartedly, those who are conquerors, well, they're going to receive eternal life. And I'll close with this. Don't say I didn't let everybody out early, right? Okay, I know there's a Bills game. <laughs> so I want to close with this. Um, maybe you didn't know, today's actually a really important day. Like Halloween, oh, church people are like, you know, church, Halloween's bad, right? <laughs> it's naughty. Don't go out and trick-or-treat. I, I don't care if you do. Um, we're we're going to do that. We're going to give out candy. Uh, and so today's important for another reason in history. 504 years ago, there was this guy named Martin Luther. And he took this document, 95 thesis and he took a hammer and nails in dramatic fashion and he nailed it to the church's door at the castle in Wittenberg and the church if you didn't know is primarily controlled by the state had heavy catholic influence and Martin Luther for a large portion of his life he was a dedicated monk and and then as he was reading his bible he was going that's not in here like wait a minute we have to go to a man to go to god that, that, that's not right. The Bible says we're this royal priesthood, and we can go straight to God the Father. Wait a minute. Give money to the church to get loved ones out of heaven? Wait, give money to the church to forgive my sins? That, that's not in there. And so he, he wrote this document in response to oppression and control by the church and the government that was saying, hey, this is what God's word says. And Martin Luther was going, that's not what it says. And so we're here today, 504 years later, among many other things that have taken place in God's providence and his grace, 
because there was somebody who took this warning seriously. There was somebody who was maybe reading, I think Martin Luther was reading all throughout the Bible, but as he read this, he goes, wait a second, pretending doesn't gain us anything. Hold on, repenting, what does it do? Well, that gains us everything, and who are the conquerors? Well, that's going to gain us eternal life. And Martin Luther, I think as he was nailing that door to the church, was, was thinking some of these things. And this is, why, why would we play games when we really know what the Word says? Why would we oppress people when we need to be about following Him wholeheartedly and knowing the Word? And so 504 years later here, I know this church has been around for 201 years, right? So kind of a big chunk of that. But Martin Luther, Luther started something, the Protestant Reformation. Several hundred years later, Anabaptists pop up on the scene, and now us as independent Baptist worshiping in a church that's been here 201 years, committed to God's word, uh, is my hope. And I love what Matt said a couple weeks ago. He said, he said, you've heard it here from this stage for 201 years, that the gospel, that God's word is continued to be preached and told. And I, I hope that that's an encouragement to you that as we read through these churches, it's not, Jesus isn't trying to just put every dip buddy down. He's not the angry parent who says, how dare you? Why would you do that again? Now he's saying, hey, hey, let me lift you up. Let's stop this game of pretending. Let's, uh, let's repent from whatever's keeping us from following God wholeheartedly because there's this great reward that you'd be able to stand walking into heaven, having Jesus said, hey, there's their name, Lamb's Book of Life. Here's the white garment. Enjoy your time. Eternity, right? And that should be an encouragement to us. And we should be encouraged too that maybe, maybe not just to live this life nominally as nominal Christians, or just, I'll do it, I'll say that I am, but then not really live it out. Because Martin Luther, he was in a system where, <laughs> just go with the flow, or you get in a lot of trouble. And he said, hey, I don't care about that, I really care about what God's Word says. So maybe, and my hope is that as you remember this day, Halloween, maybe next year you remember this, remember it as a Reformation Day too, because it started the Protestant Reformation, that's why we're here today worshiping in this space as a Protestant church. Baptist, but also remember that Jesus is communicating something to us. He doesn't want us to waste this life. He wants us to do something with it, be committed to him wholeheartedly, and be able to be those ones that can conquer. Because we don't want to be a church. We don't want to be a people that have this reputation of being alive, but are actually dead. My hope for us is we continue to grow into that maturity that he's offered to us uh, to lift each other up as a family of faith. And as we grow together and do this, I'm so excited for the future because, um, man, some of the things that we're doing and God's carried us through, uh, as other small churches I know we've been praying for in the area that haven't, haven't done as well through COVID and everything else that's taken place. And now taking steps with our teenagers and kids and, and wanting to see this legacy continue because in 100 years, we, none of us will be here. But somebody might. And somebody might who's been influenced by what we do here on this day. Like Martin Luther thought, maybe uh, he, was, he was there nailing the, that document to the door and he never knew it was going to take place. He just knew, I'm going to be faithful to God. So let's do that together, okay? Uh, maybe you're here today too, though, and you're like, you're listening online or you're here and you're going, I don't know what all that's about, like pretending, like I've never even, you know, put my faith and trust in Jesus. I've never followed him to begin with. Uh, maybe for you, you just need to make that decision for the first time today. And the Bible tells us it's as easy as this. Admit that you're a sinner. Uh, believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and confess with your mouth that he is the Lord of your life. Uh, scriptures tell us that we can be saved if we do that. Uh, I'm glad to talk with you. I'll be here afterwards. If you'd like to talk in person or if you're online, uh, reach out to us at the email list on the website. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we uh, come to you today. Uh, God, we're thankful for uh, your word. Uh, that it uh, permeates our hearts, that um, there's no words of man that really matter. 
Um, God, I pray that we would um, rest on this, be encouraged by the fact that we can be these conquerors who uh, get to stand in heaven with you, that you, um, before God the Father, are our advocate, um, that our name is written down. We get this white garment representing what you've done for us, being washed in your sacrifice on the cross, your blood. Um, Let us always remember that that sacrifice was at a great price. Um, that our grace was costly, that it was not cheap. Um, Help us as we um, try to walk faithfully, as we stumble and make mistakes. I pray you'd bring people around us who can encourage us and lift us up, our family of faith. Uh, And as we come to this place um, weekly and gather, um, that we would receive this word, be encouraged by it. And we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Love you, church. Have a wonderful Sunday. Uh, And if there's anybody who wants to visit about um, having a little Bible study time before service on Sundays, uh, come and talk with me. Uh, I will be